Nick Hayfirst. Welcome to week five, our last week of our Soul Therapy series. And if you would, if you have not already, would you just indicate what city you're watching from? Galesburg, Goebbels, Kalamazoo, Comstock, Plainwell, um, wherever you're watching from, would you just identify in the chat the city and maybe even the state if you're watching from a different state? It'd be encouraging just to see where people are watching from. Also, thought about this. Put in your favorite emoji. What's your go-to emoji? And my go-to, I'll tell you, is the the wide-eyed face. Like when I don't know how to respond to something weird on Facebook or something, I just put the wide-eyed emoji as if I have no words and this is my only response. Or if I'm watching, I watch some of my friends' um, Facebook Live uh, services and I'll use fire emoji. That's one of my favorite ones to use for an amen. So throw up your favorite emoji, your go-to emoji. As we dive into you the last message here. Matthew 25 is what you're going to look at. And while you're turning there, we're going to do a little bit of a game called fact or fiction, fact or fiction. And so uh, the way you play is I'm going to make a statement and all you have to say is fact or fiction. It's that simple. For example, the Great Wall of China is visible from space. The Great Wall of China is visible from space, fact or fiction. According to NASA, it is fiction. It's not fact. Even though people have said they can see it from space, actually you can't. You can only see it from the upper part of our atmosphere. Um, I think it's called, might be called the stratosphere, but according to NASA, when you actually get into legit outer space, you cannot see the Great Wall of China. What about this one? If you swallow your gum, it takes seven years to digest. If you swallow your gum, it takes seven years to digest. That's, it's absolute fiction. Um, it passes with everything else and we probably don't need to describe that any more than that. Um, cracking your knuckles will eventually give you arthritis. Fact or fiction? I grew up uh, hearing that I was going to get arthritis or large knuckles from it, but it's actually completely fiction. It just, it doesn't have that bearing. It's just a disgusting habit that we all do. Um, last one. If you cross your eyes long enough, they'll stay that way. If you cross your eyes long enough, you'll stay that way. I remember my grandma Beringer saying that if you cross your eyes, you make funny faces and somebody touches your back or pats your back, your face will stay that way. And it's fiction. I mean, it's just it's some weird thought that we tell our kids so they don't make funny faces at each other. But for my grandma, it didn't scare me. It challenged me. I'm like, okay, I wonder what face I could get stuck into um, if I if somebody pats me in the back during that. But, you know, we, we, we joke about fact and fiction, but in this day and age, sometimes it's hard to distinguish what's what. I mean, if you go on YouTube, I've learned something about YouTube, is you can find some of the most obscure things and there is some specialist with some sort of degree, some sort of resume that will give you some obscure belief and state it as absolute fact. And then you can find a different YouTube that proves them wrong, that has their degree and, and their title and their resume and all their scientific facts. And I mean, it's, it's in this day and age, you can find anything on the internet to support whatever it is you believe or whatever stance you have. Um, the day and age that we have for 2020, we're in the, an election year. So we have got people from both sides of the aisle trying to tell you those people are giving you fiction, we'll give you the facts. And then the other side saying, hey, we're gonna give you the facts because they are giving you fiction. And so it almost gets very tough to figure out what's fact and what is fiction. 
I get concerned when we as believers, how about, let's just say it this way, just we as human beings, we can make so many factual, in our heads, factual stories that actually get based off limited fact and sometimes more so fiction. The idea of I'm developing a story, I'm developing a narrative in my head that I begin to emotionally invest in that even though it might be based off a couple tidbits of fact or partial fact, I've invested so much into it that I have now bought into that story. And remember, I remember being in a counseling session years ago and a counselor told me, and he said this, and I want you to write this down. You choose the story you, you tell yourself. You choose the story you tell yourself. Because numbers of us have stories we tell ourselves. Maybe um, out of pride, we, we think of ourselves better than what we are, or let's go to the opposite end. We think very little of ourselves. And so I remember just being in a very dark time and my counselor saying, listen, you, you don't have to listen to the story that depression is telling you. You don't have to listen to the story a bully had told you at some point. You don't have to listen to those stories. People can give you their interpretations and their uh, thoughts about you, but you have the opportunity to tell your story about you. Only you can tell that. And you have to embrace whatever story that you want to believe about you. And it just began to pour life into me, getting me to say, you know, I may be going through a dark time, but I can tell a story of hope. I can tell a story of faith out of that. I can tell a story of peace and a story of love, a, sto a story of power through the dark times that I didn't have to be victimized by my emotions, that I can choose to tell a better story about ourselves because I believe that's what Christ does for us. He gives us a better story to tell of ourselves. And so today, I want to dive into what might be a very familiar scripture to numbers of you that maybe grew up in Sunday school and you heard about the parables, the stories that Jesus told. And there is a man in the story that begins to formulate a story out of tidbits of information, and he ends up losing out on amazing opportunity. Matthew 25, Jesus is telling a parable and he says, it'd be like a man going on a journey who called his servants and entrusted them with his property. To one he gave five talents, to another two, to another one, each according to his ability, and then he went his way. Now, let me give some context here. First of all, we talked about a talent, I think it was two weeks ago, and a talent in today's money is somewhere around 1.4 to 1.1 uh, to 1.4 million dollars. It's a lot of money. And so that's just one talent of gold. So one guy, he gave five times, five talents of gold. One he gave two, and another he gave one. And it was a custom when a, a boss or a, the, a master would have given his hirelings something like this. He would have expected them to do something, and it would have been very much a custom for them to invest them to do something with it, knowing that they were going to reap a benefit from the profits of whatever they did with whatever they were entrusted with that was a part of that culture. So look at what happened. Verse 16, he who had received five talents went at once and traded with them and he made five talents more. Also, he who had two talents made two talents more. He who had received one talent went and dug a hole in the ground and hid his master's money. 
Now, after a long time, the master of those servants came and settled accounts with them. And he who received five talents came forward, bringing five talents more, saying, Master, you delivered me five talents. Here, I've made five talents more. And his master said, Well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over little. I will set you um, I will set you over much. Enter into the joy of your master. Now, let me say that and maybe what they would have understood. Enter into the profits of your master. That was the joy. The joy was the blessings, the profits, the extra. And so he invites the servant into the blessings of that hard work. You earn me this much, you're going to enjoy it as well. You've done faith, you've done well. And it says in verse 22, and he who also... He also who had the two talents came forward saying, Master, you delivered to me two talents. I have made two talents more. His master said, well done, good and faithful servant. You've been faithful over little. I will set you over much. Enter into the joy of your master. You know what? You did well. You deserve to enjoy some of this. And he blessed them. Verse 24. He who had received one talent came forward saying, Master, I know you to be a hard man. You reap where you didn't sow. You are gathering where you scattered no seed. So I was afraid and I hid, went and hid your talent in the ground. Here you have what is yours. Now, this is what's kind of wild. We don't know how true that is. We don't know if the master really is a hard man. We don't know necessarily that he harvested what he didn't plant, that he took what he didn't seed. But look at the master's response in verse 25. Excuse me, verse 26. His master answered, you wicked and slothful servant. And look at the question. You knew that I reap where I have not sown and you, I gathered I, where I scattered no seed. He asked him a question. He's trying to clarify, where did you hear this? Where did the story come from? How did you come up with this? Because the servant, it seems to me, the servant got some bits of information. He read a blog, watched a YouTube on, about his company, um, heard some tidbits, saw some things, maybe saw the response of his other servants. And it seems like he conjured up this story that all of a sudden developed an emotional response. What was the emotional response? It was fear. I was afraid. Or maybe he's telling a story here. He's lying a bit and he's trying to use fear to, to get some mercy because maybe he's having this emotion of jealousy. I saw what the five talent guy did and the two talent guy that did and I did nothing close. And I'm envious. So maybe if I come up with a story, um, I, I wouldn't feel this way. And maybe I'm going to get a blessing like the other two guys did. And so the master says, you ought to have invested money with the bankers. And at my coming, I should have received what was uh, my own with interest. So take the talent from him and give it to him who has 10. For everyone who, who has will be given more and he, and he will have an abundance. But from the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away. And he cast the worthless servant into the outer darkness and the place there will be weeping and the gnashing of teeth. This servant built an entire narrative in his brain based off of tidbits of information. And he responded emotionally. I was afraid. I didn't know what was going to happen if I didn't do right. 
if I didn't raise enough, if I didn't do enough with this. And so I end up doing nothing. He's paralyzed, not necessarily by who the master is, by what he thinks he knows of the master. And all of a sudden, the story has developed. This emotional uh, investment goes into the story and it completely stifles who he is. And we can pick on the servant, but I think we all have the propensity to develop stories. We, de we develop stories and narratives that can motivate us or destroy us, can encourage us or depress us. And these stories stew in our minds and they can take fictional, fictional things and make them into fact in our own brains. So um, this affects us. And so I, I wrote down um, three questions. Number one, what about the stories we tell about ourselves? When we think about the stories that we come up with, what about the stories that we tell about ourselves? Like, for example, maybe you were a victim of what somebody did to you or something happened to you that was so far out of your control. And I'm not trying to demean or to diminish a trauma that may have happened to you, but there's a story out of that hurt that you've told yourself that says, I would move forward, but I can't. Because, you, because of a little bit of a, a truth, you've been hurt. You have formed this fictional narrative that says, just because there's hurt, you can't. You can't get married again. You can't find happiness. You, or you don't deserve it because you're, you feel like you are so broken. Or maybe you've developed a story about yourself that you know better than everybody else. Maybe you've gotten jealous and frustrated over people at work. Maybe somebody got promoted instead of you. Maybe uh, you're looking on social media and you're seeing somebody seems to be enjoying something that you don't have. And you're thinking to yourself, I, I know better. I deserve better. And you form this prideful story that has developed anger and resentment in your heart as that emotional response. Um, maybe your story that you have conjured up and pondered on is all about relationships. Like you're thinking to yourself, um, I'm always going to be single or our, my marriage will never be happy. And we get into these stories we tell ourselves and then we invest emotionally into that. And all of a sudden we get to this place where we have formed those stories and it affects the way that you view yourself and in every situation you find yourselves in. Or maybe you haven't formed just not just stories about yourself. What about the stories you formed about others? Like maybe you look at your boss, you're thinking, how do they get the job? How are they even qualified? I, I bet you I know how they got their job. Um, I could do this thing better. And you form this story that they cannot be, they're not even able to do their job. Maybe you aren't even in the room when they were hired and the overarching boss of the company wants to take the company in a new direction. And they didn't need to tell you. But your boss is doing things different because they were told, we don't know, but we've formed a story. We have little data points about uh, the situation and we pull from those data points an entire narrative. Maybe you have a story that the opposite sex cannot be trusted because of the way somebody has responded. So now you look at everybody of the opposite sex. Maybe you had an experience with somebody of a different race. Maybe you have an experience of, uh, of, of a certain people group or a style of people or a grouping of people. And now you have this story about how you look at every single person of that type. 
because of some narrative you have formed in your head. This happens to me all the time as a pastor because people come to, to the church with preconceived notions that the pastor, you're supposed to do everything. You're the only one that can pray or all you pastors want is offering. You're all about finances. You're all about taking. And it's amazing the type of stories that people can conjure up by little tidbits of information that they formed an entire narrative about. Think about these stories we tell about God. We talked a little bit about that last week. We look at situations where we, we may not focus a lot on God when the times are good, but often times are bad and we begin to think, God, you are never with me. You always leave me. You're never around when, you, when I need you or when I pray, you never give me what I want. And, and we go into almost this selfish mode, but we have placed a moment that has a little bit of truth or a little bit of fact and we develop this fictional story about God and it begins to perpetuate anger and issues in our hearts and that affects so much. Again, listen to last week because it is hard to be in a relationship with God when we don't understand him well. In fact, I wrote it this way. It's incredibly difficult to have a strong relationship with God with a false understanding of who he is. We, as human beings, have a propensity to tell stories. Sometimes the stories are just the ways that we view ourselves and we tell stories about ourselves. Sometimes we've come up with stories about individuals and people and we keep our distance or we hold anger. We hold frustration because of the stories we told ourselves about that type of person. Maybe it's about God. And because of some maybe unfortunate experiences, maybe you cherry picked one little scripture out and then look at the context and you form this opinion or this idea of God and you're just beginning to doubt who he is. So what are the stories that you have told yourself about yourself, others, and God? And this is what I want you to do is to take the next couple minutes and would you share that with maybe somebody in the room? What are, or have you ever had a story that you invested time in that you discovered later it wasn't even fact? That's the question I want you to ponder. Have you ever invested like that emotional time? You invested um, yourself into a story that wasn't necessarily fact. Would you just share that with the people in your room? Because I think it'll be a powerful time just to simply say, boy, I invested into this story about a person before and I, and I came to find out I was completely wrong. Or maybe it was something about yourself. Maybe it was something about God and you've just had freedom and deliverance in that area. Would you take a few moments and just share about that? I hope you shared something with the people around you. I can think of so many times I've misjudged people 
based off of some inaccurate information and I formed stories that I told myself that maybe churned my heart against them or honestly, sometimes it was just flat out afraid and intimidated by them. Maybe it was there, it was someone's countenance that I immediately judged them and formed a story. And that story shifted me into a, maybe a very unhealthy direction. But stories are like that. Stories are powerful. In fact, I came across this, this old proverb that says, tell me a fact and I will learn. Tell me the truth and I will believe. But tell me a story and it will live in my heart forever. I love that. I mean, we can give people facts and we will, we will, we will teach people. We can give people truths and they're going to believe something. But when we tell them stories, it lives in our hearts together. And there is such greatness to that. There's blessing that can come from that. That's why we ought to share the story of what Jesus is doing in our life. That's why we encourage you to go on our website and go to my story and just share with us the goodness and the grace of what God is doing in your life so that we could share that with other people because it's powerful. But our story, just as much as it has the, uh, the power to build us up, it can also be the thing to use to destroy us. If we don't learn about the power of, of a story and how we need to look at the stories and identify how to truly navigate to them so that they can be used for the glory of God. Now, when it comes to watching movies, I am a movie guy. I love watching movies. And my favorite movies are ones that in the promo, it'll say these words based off a true story based off a true story. I love those. And more often than not, when the movie's over, I'm already on my phone and I'm looking at the facts of the movie to figure out what did they skim? What did they skip past? What did they miss? What did they embellish? Um, what, what changed about the movie? Because usually they give you most of the truth, but they they just take a little bit of liberty, a little bit of a license to kind of uh, make it bigger or a little bit more dramatic just to draw more from the story and they make more of the story itself. But I think we all do that. Like I think of myself, I mean, ask my wife, I am one that can make up stories and, and, and get into places in my head and my emotions that just throw me for a whirl. I can think of individuals in the church who have texted me, hey, Pastor Dave, can we meet? And immediately I start conjuring up stories out of tidbits of truth. What's the truth? So-and-so wants to meet with me. I know them. I trust them. They have integrity. But so I know the person and I know the fact is they want to talk to me. And so I ask Ann, I will go into so many tangents. What do they want to talk to me about? I bet you it could be this. It could be this. It could be this. And I get myself so emotionally invested is the best word I can come up with into all of these stories and scenarios. And by the time someone sits with me, it has nothing to do with that. Many times, pastor, I want to come and encourage you. Pastor, the Holy Spirit gave me a word for you that I thought would encourage you with the vision of the church. Pastor, the Spirit of God has been speaking to my life and I wanted to get your insight and just some wisdom and how do I pursue this so that my life can just please the Lord. It, it is rarely anything connected to the stories in my head. But that's what us as human beings can do. Our emotions and our brain connect and all of a sudden we have to form something together and that story can be powerful and it can either build us up or it can be the thing that we tie around our neck and just sink us to the bottom of life. I don't know if you remember this, parents. Do you remember Mad Libs? 
More importantly, have you introduced your kids to Mad Libs? If not, you need to do Mad Libs. If you have teenagers, introduce them to Mad Libs. All Mad Libs is this, is you've got a one-page story where 95% of the information is there, but 5% is withheld. And what it does is it just leaves blanks all over the place. And the blanks will say verb, noun, proper name, location, whatever. And what you do is, is you look at the story and you ask somebody who can't see the story, okay, give me the verb, and you write it in the verb spot. Give me a noun, you write it in the noun spot, and you and you make them fill in the blanks without them knowing the story. And once they give you that 5% of the information, you then read the full 100%, and the story just comes out so weird, wacky, and it's hilarious. It's always, it's just a fun, simple thing. I remember doing it on vacation in, the, in one of the backseat. I remember my sister and I doing that before. My uncle and I we used to do Mad Libs a lot. Um, but that's where you have 95% of information and you're providing the 5%. What we tend to do emotionally is we take 5% of the information and we, and we add on our 95% and we find ourselves kind of like this servant in Matthew chapter 25 where we get such in a place of confusion, frustration, anger, fear, whatever the emotion draws up, we get into this place where the story has moved us to a place where we can't move forward and nothing healthy comes from it. And so the, the, the power of the story can shift us, can touch or help our emotions or can destroy them. They can control our interactions with each other and they can absolutely play havoc or help our relationships. That is the power of a story. And so for us to go into this in the right way, I think that we have to first and foremost understand that God is not a part of our story. We are a part of his. If we're going to get ourselves to reset a bit, we have to remind ourselves, God is not an accessory to our lives. He's not, he's not the additional actor. He is the main actor. He is the source. He is the center of what we do. And his story began at creation his story began before we were even created and his story will continue after we are gone. We are a part of his story. And so if we can get to that place, then we can actually release some of our opinions and our emotions and begin to dive in and, and to get into a simple process to help us understand how to form our stories. So there's two simple practical things I want to give you today. And we're just going to wrap up two simple things that I want you to do to help you process your stories so that you can find liberty and you can find integrity in your life. So write these two things down, check it out and clear it up. Check it out and clear it up. If you have formed a story and you've got these emotions that are rising up about a person, about yourself, or about God, begin to, number one, check it out. What do we mean by that? Is it true? Is anything in this story true? How do you know that's true? If it's true, how do you know? Where, where are you getting your facts, your information from? And then three, what is this story causing me to do? And usually that's the catalyst is if the story is moving me towards something that's absent of the character of Jesus, then I have to pull back and say, I have to check this out further. What's true? How do I know it's true? And it should be causing me to have a redemptive response. We have to learn when it comes to us conjuring stories and having an emotional response, we have to, number one, check it out. And then once we check it out, we move toward number two, and that's clear it up. Clear it up. What do I mean by clear it up? It's recognizing we are part of God's story, which means that we need to have a redemptive mode in everything. And we have to be willing to clear it up. And when we have had a wrong story about someone, I believe we should clear it up. 
I believe we should go to that person. Maybe it's our spouse. Maybe your spouse just looks at their phone a lot. And because you've never addressed it and never asked about it, there is one fact. They're on their phone and you have formed this idea that they want nothing to do with you. They don't want to pay attention to you. They have no desire to pay attention to you. They love their phone more than you. And you form this story and all of a sudden these attitudes and these emotions have poured out. And maybe it's time to sit and say to your spouse, you know what? I interpreted one thing and formed a whole story and I want to confess to you that I was wrong. I need your forgiveness. See, when we're part of our, our own story, we don't go into that route, but when we recognize we're part of God's story, it puts us in a redemptive mode. It gets us to get into a radical place where we have radical redemptive responses, where we can look at situations and say, you know, I, I know you, I've seen you, and because of little moments, that I never asked about, I formed different things about you and I wanna confess to you that I am wrong. What would happen to this world if we had redemptive responses like that? If we had a radical approach to the stories that we have developed, instead of just saying, God, forgive me, but we actually moved out and looked for redemptive responses from individuals. Now, I'm not saying that you go to your spouse or go to your friend and list all the things you don't like about them and then blame them for your story. Don't use that to leverage attack. Use it to leverage humility and begin to say, I've checked something out. I've realized something is wrong, so I need to clear it up. And I just wanted to confess to you that I have looked at you the wrong way. I have treated you wrong. And it wasn't based upon an amazing amount of truth. One moment happened and I formed a story and I wanted to confess it to you. That, my friends, is radical responsibility. And that's what I want to challenge you to do. But you can't do that if you think life is about you. We have to remember we're a part of his story. And so instead of giving you a second question today, I actually want to move into a time of just self-reflection and worship. And we're going to sing a song that, song I sung when I was a child that maybe many of you sung growing up. And the song simply says, this is my story. And sometimes we just need to learn or relearn about the redemptive work of Jesus to meditate on his grace and his mercy. Because if we could do that, it, it really prompts us to check things out and then to move to clear things up. Would you take a few moments? Don't just listen to the song, join in, and let's have a time of just self-reflection and remember that his story is something we get to live in. Then 
It's one of my favorite songs of all time. And whenever I sing it, it helps rescue me out of a mode of selfishness. And when I sing about Christ and I realize that this is my story, his story becomes my story. It really puts me in a place where I just want to begin to check out my own life. And I want to begin to clear things up because I want to live right before God. And I want to live right before men. And it helps us clear up the stories that we tell ourselves about us, the stories that we tell about others, and it really helps us to clear up the stories that we tell about the Lord. It's time for radical responsibility in the body of Christ. And at K-First, it's time for us to own up the stories that we have told ourselves about our spouse. It's time we told better stories about people of a different race. It's time that we told better stories of people of a different political view. Some of us have made people the enemy when the devil's the enemy. Scripture doesn't say, beloved, love one another if you agree with them. It just says, beloved, let us love one another. That's 1 John 4, 7 and 8. But get this, this is so cool. Uh, I'm gonna stick in 1 John chapter 1, verse 5 through 7 says this. This is the message that we have heard from him and proclaim to you that God is light and in him is no darkness at all. And if we say we have fellowship with him while we walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. I mean, let's let's be real. Look at that. If we say we have fellowship while we walk in darkness, in other words, while we walk around with our own versions of stories. If we do that, we lie and we don't practice the truth. If we refuse to check it out, we're not practicing truth. And then it says, but if we walk in the light, if we take responsibility, if we take radical responsibility as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. There's a fruit from radical responsibility and the blood of Jesus cleanses us from all sin. I love that. If we're willing to own it, we're willing to own our own faults. If we're willing to recognize that we weren't telling a truthful story, that was all true. And we take the radical responsibility and we reach out and we seek forgiveness and we show humility and we make things right. We get the radical fruit of it, which is fellowship with one another and we are cleansed by Christ. And that's powerful. I think that's amazing. And I recognize that some of you are like, well, I just don't know where to start. I'd say let's go 
in this order. Let's look at how God looks at us and get a right view of God. Let's look at how we should look at each other and let that propel us to look at how we look at others. Why that order? Because that's what we were taught by Jesus. We love our Lord, our God, with all of our hearts, mind, soul, and strength. And then we go to love others before we go there as we love ourselves. So Lord, help us have right stories we tell about you, the right stories we should be telling ourselves about ourselves so that we can in turn tell better stories about the people around us. Pastor, well, I haven't started off my story or my life in the, in the right way whatsoever. Some of you might be watching and you, you just hate the way your story, your, your life has started. Maybe you've had a rough life, a rough year. But I'm here to tell you that if you're still breathing, there's still time. In fact, I wrote this down. No matter how you describe your story right now, there's good news. Your story is not over. If you still have breath, your story is not over. And God can do amazing things through you. But it's just time to own it. It's time to come clean and to put things right and to start a be a, the beginning of a brand new beautiful story that I believe will not just change your world, but change the world of all those that are around you. As, uh, as most of you have smartphones and such, we have these things called updates. And they happen every now and then. You'll get a little notification. And more often than not, with my iPad, I'll go to hit update and my iPad gives me this notification that we cannot give you the update. We cannot give you the extra the new stuff because your storage is full. And so I have to spend time going into my messages. I have to delete messages. I start deleting other apps, other things that were just taking up space because the new thing couldn't get established because there's so much stuff taking up space. Some of you have been praying for new life and wanting a new story. And today it is time just to pull things together and take a radical responsibility and come clean with the issues. And let's begin to clear out the storage so that we can see God do new transformative work. Let me pray for you. Jesus, I thank you for this day and this moment. And we confess that every single person, we can have the propensity to form stories about people, about things, about you, God, about ourselves that sometimes has a few tidbits of fact, but most of the story has been formed as an emotional response, trying to figure something out. And most of the time we can be so inaccurate and we've made wrong judgments, wrong assumptions. We have lied about others, gossip about others. We have lied to ourselves and we've missed you. And so Lord, I just pray, search our hearts and correct us. Help us, guide us. Lord, bring us back to the song that says, this is my story. Help us to see our lives in the light of you. Because the more that we can understand that, the more freely we can understand ourselves and how to love ourselves. And in turn, we know how to love others well. I thank you for this series. I thank you for what you've done. And Lord, I'm believing you're going to continue to bring out fruit as you help us to become more emotionally mature and in turn become more healthy spiritually. I pray all of this in Jesus' name. Amen. Love you all.